Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, the host of the program, Everything Co-op. We have on with us one of our favorite guests. That's John Hosclaude IV, who's the president and CEO of Rochdale Capital. Good morning, John. Good morning, Vernon. How are you doing today? Doing really good, really good. And you? I am, uh, like I was telling somebody earlier today, I'm spinning plates in a windstorm, but what else is new? Spinning plates in a windstorm. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Busy as can be, but uh, makes the time go by fast. But I'm, I'm definitely um, happy to be here. I'm starting to feel like Alec Baldwin on Saturday Night Live, how many times he's hosted the show. I think I'm starting to get close to that record on everything co-op, and it's truly an honor, truly an honor to be here again. Well, we love to have you on, sir. We love to have you on. And always – Sad to talk about our dear friend who passed a year ago, uh, Chuck Snyder. He was a really, really good friend to both of us. Then um, this show has been on for nine years. He supported it in every which way he could, both financially and telling us all about the, everybody. And I knew about housing co-ops, but I didn't know about the rest of them. And he was there mm-hmm. to help support and our number one cheerleader. So he he is just great and. I think he had a little bit to do with your career, huh? He, he, he really did, Brian. You know, I think while Chuck was an uh, amazing banker, I think he, at heart, really wanted to be known as a cooperator. And I think that's what made him uh, such a great uh, a member of the cooperative community. He um, did a lot for me in my career in regards to his guidance and his mentorship. And, you know, he always uh, would say things to me like, you know, you don't, you don't get what you don't ask for, you know. And I think that what a lot of people don't really know about Chuck, and well, they may know about him, but he was really against all things that were unjust. And I think that in a lot of ways, that contributed to um, the creation of Rochdale Capital, uh, an emerging community development financial institution that I'm now president and CEO of. It really was his vision uh, to create this organization to assist and collaborate with other CDFIs that work in the cooperative space, as well as, uh, obviously, we were founded by the National Cooperative Bank. We're not affiliated with the bank, and we're not a subsidiary, but they are our founding and strategic partner, and Chuck was um, such a big part of that. And as we come up on a, a year of his uh, unexpected passing on, on, on November 6th, you know, I can't help but think about Mrs. Snyder, continue to think about Mrs. Snyder and their two daughters, um, who um, obviously I'm sure are, are missing that boy just as much as we are in the cooperative community. But um, not going to be a Chuck tribute show, but I, I, I would be remiss, and I'm so happy um, that you started with that uh, because so much about what both of our both of us are doing is because of Charles E. Snyder. So I'll, 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 I'll stop there. 
All right, because we don't want to get into a tear fest here, but okay. Uh, he's just a great, great, great guy. And, and as you know, we used to walk on Sunday mornings. Um, mm. We both needed the exercise, needed to move the body. Uh, and that just gave great, great time to just talk about everything. And the, the, it was mm-hmm. like any subject matter, every subject matter. And, of course, co-op would be at the heart of everything. But mm-hmm. it's that, as you know, in your work, that co-ops can be any business. So if you talk about health care, we could talk about health care. Talk about housing, talk about housing. Talk about banking, talk about credit unions or CDFIs or the bank. It Everything, every, any worker co-op, any community. So it just gave us a lot of a lot of ammunition, a lot of things, a lot of subjects to talk about. Uh, now I had to stop halfway around Haynes Point. He seemed like he could keep going, but I stopped half an hour and sit for a while. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but that that I I missed that, and unfortunately, but the Saturday that that he passed, I didn't get the message, and I was out there at Haynes Point that Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, Karen had called me and left a message. I just didn't get it. So yeah. yeah. Huge void, huge void. Hard to fill those shoes. So we hope the new bank president. uh, They they both (laughs) in the the Chuck and and it came out of the accounting, which is so interesting that he's an accountant, but he's more much more a personal person. He's so much more. And Casey Fannin is the new president. He comes out of the financial end. And let's see mm-hmm. how personal he will be in terms of mm-hmm. of, meet, of being able to meet people wherever they are. And mm-hmm. then knowing that the whole reason for the capital is to help people. So, yeah, I, I he has huge shoes to fill, man. I, I wouldn't want to come after Chuck <laughs> with everything he knew. <laughs> Yeah, in finance and accounting yeah. and cooperatives, and then the whole people yeah. focus. So, yeah. Well, you know, you know, Casey, Casey's doing a great job. I mean, obviously, he's interim first, and you know, uh, nobody, nobody thinks that these things are ever going to happen and are thrust upon you. But I will say that Rochdale Capital does not have a bigger fan uh, than uh, the bank CEO Casey Fannin, and I think that is um, important not only for our success. But I think for, again, uh, the bank's continued involvement and uh, strategic partnerships that they can do with us as well as other CDFIs across the country because we've been in this business for a long time. Even created, obviously, in the same act that created Capital Impact Partners, which is now called Momentus. But, you know, the, the roots it's, run deep because they say where I'm from. So, Okay. So, Rochdale is how old now? We will be one years old on December 2nd. Uh, let me let me tell my favorite part about this first. You know, you know, Chuck wanted us to be able to do more in under-resourced communities, but the bank, like any financial institution, is regulated. And sometimes, when you start coming up against regulatory constraints, it's harder to get um, transactions done. And so, um, in our frustration, uh, one day Chuck just said, "You know what? Why don't we create our own thing?" Uh, and so. After looking at community development corporations and looking at nonprofit community-based organizations, I just said to Chuck one day, why don't we just create a community development financial institution? We've got history. We've worked with one for many years. We've worked with some all across the country. 
And so the idea was born. Um, at that time, we called it the, a mission lending entity and kind of went back and forth and started talking about what we wanted to do. We wanted to promote uh, cooperative um, principles. We wanted to promote community ownership. We wanted to uh, work to advance uh, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the communities that we worked. And then last but not least, we wanted to work with the bank to provide financing opportunities that they may not be able to do because of the regulatory constraints. And so that's the idea that we were looking at. I love telling this story because we had to find a name. And obviously our name was Rochdale Capital. Uh, People think that it pays homage, and it does to some degree, to the Rochdale Society who came up with the seven cooperative principles. But the real reason that I uh, named it Rochdale, and I I encourage everybody to go to rochdalecapital.org, our website, and David Thompson um, has an amazing story there. So in 1845, after Frederick Douglass had written his first autobiography, he became a wanted man. Uh, and so to flee uh, being caught and harmed, he got on the Cambria transatlantic steamer and went to the UK. Ended up doing 300 speeches there. Um, but he was still a slave? He was still a slave when he went over? He was still a slave and uh, ended up interacting. And while there are no records of it a lot, there was some interaction there with him and some of the Rochdale Society folks who welcomed him with open arms. And then he befriended a member of parliament who ended up being one of his better friends who gave him over half of the money that he needed to buy his freedom. So he left the... Uh, United States as a slave, but he came back as a free man. And uh, I think he never really forgot that experience. He even came back and stayed with that member of parliament many years later um, just as a visit. And so I think the, I think the essence of that, and I think the story of that is the reason why I wanted to name this organization Rockstale Capital, of course, while also paying homage, you know, obviously homage to the, to the uh, society. Um, so if you go on our website, David Thompson writes about it far more eloquently than I just um, tried to go through. But I think it's important that we understand those roots about us as an organization because most of the communities that we work in are black or Latino or indigenous or uh, Asian American Pacific Islander. So we, we, we already have that kind of um, mission-based, place-based strategy to work in those targeted communities to try to bring access uh, to home ownership, to, to business ownership, to things that they can access to help that they can't have. And so we are what they call an emerging CDFI. We've applied for our certification to be uh, a certified CDFI. We probably won't hear back until June of next year, but we're really excited about the future. We've got an amazing loan officer. We've got amazing manager operations. We've got an amazing board full of cooperators as well as people with uh, international development, um, uh, small business experience. And so, uh, and it's very diverse. And I think we're doing the best we can to live our brand. Um, it's probably one of the most diverse boards that I've had a chance to work with in some time. There was a lot of intentionality around that. So great group of people. You know, uh, tell people your webpage again. What is your webpage? It's uh, uh, www. Rochdale, R-O-C-H-D-A-L-E, capital, C-A-P-I-T, 
ATAL.org. And, you know, and, and Vernon, we, we want this uh, to be not only our virtual office, but Chuck really wanted Rochdale to also be an engine of thought leadership. And so we haven't made the all call yet, and you'll be on this list, but we want to start talking about things uh, in the cooperative space, in the community ownership space, by having a blog. And there's, and there's a page on our website where we hope to post a lot of these blogs. I don't care if they're older, they're new, that we can reprint them. We just want it to be a place where we can have these conversations about these things that I feel very strongly, and you do as well, could really aid uh, a lot of the, the gaps that we have in this community um, because of the membership piece to it, the, the democratic control piece of it. Uh, and my favorite is obviously concern for our community. But uh, I encourage people to go there to learn about us as an organization. There's a contact sheet there. Please reach out. And uh, if you have any questions, please reach out if you have a, a particular transaction you're looking at. We're going to come right back after our first break to talk to John Hostclaw. We'll talk about some of these things that's happening in the community as it relates to co-op and building community wealth. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that bell. Back everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op, and we have John Hoseclaw the Fourth. I like that the Fourth John talks about your ancestry. You you you, you got four generations of John Hoseclaw. That's fantastic. Uh, and your mission uh, for Rushdale Capital. That's R O C H D A L E C A P I T A L dot org. You can go to their webpage. They are not quite a year old yet. They'll be a year old in December. And you can find out about uh, their resources, all about how they got started and everything. But I just talk to us about your mission. What's the mission of Rochdale Capital? You know, um, you know, I'm not a, a public relations person or a communication person by, by by heart. And so you you hear from people who say, "Well, your mission is too long." And and I'm a big believer that. It doesn't matter how long it is or how short it is. I, I really wanted to let the world know all the things that we really care about. And so, you know, when you, when you look at it, uh, number one, we want to promote the expansion of uh, community ownership and, and the cooperative principles. And so I think so much about what we do is just as, as much as we think about financing, we also think about development services. We also think about technical assistance not because it's what CDFIs are also required to do, but because we want to educate those who don't know about cooperatives. You know, I always tell this story about when I was in the government relations world, I'd go on Capitol Hill and ask a staffer, um, you know, are you a member of the Congressional Federal Credit Union or the Senate Federal Credit Union? And they'd say yes. And I'd say, well, you're a member of a cooperative. It's member owned. You have a vote every year. You have an annual meeting, you know, and so, then their eyes would kind of go, oh, that's a cooperative. Um, number two, um, we, we want to strive to advance equity, diversity, and inclusion. Uh, and you said this a little earlier about wealth building as well as uh, uh, build assets in these under-resourced communities, which you'll never hear me say, Vernon, is lower, moderate-income communities. I, 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 I would rather say under-resourced because at the end of the day, people need and deserve access. 
there's nothing about low and moderate income communities that exudes access. So I don't say that, or we don't say that in our organization. We say under-resourced communities. And by equity, diversity, and inclusion, we mean all communities, not just some, but all communities of black and brown, indigenous, API. They deserve the same opportunities that other communities um, um, have to lead to wealth building, to lead to asset building. And so, and then last but not least, we want to be able to provide equitable access to capital. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily available right now from the bank um, as our founding and strategic partner. I'll, I'll reiterate again, we are separate and unaffiliated from the bank, but there are a lot of deals that come across our desk that while the bank could probably do, um, the amount may be 250000 it may be 350000 and it's really better for us to do something like that or work with them on some participations. I think it's the best way for us to do it, number one. And so that's our mission statement in a nutshell. Um, it's a lot of information for some people, but I think it really it captures uh, the essence of what we're trying to do as an organization. And, and, and I think that you know, there are other great folks out here like Leaf in Boston and the Co- Cooperative Fund of the Northeast and Shared Capital out of Minnesota who are all doing similar work. And so our hope is that the tide will rise all boats. The bank is going to continue to be strong supporters of those uh, already existing certified CDFIs. We just feel like our uh, uh, entry into the space is going to help all of us uh uh, impact these communities again, and also provide technical assistance or development services for um, these communities to learn how cooperatives can really change their lives. Uh, um, so that, that's in a nutshell um, our mission and, and one that we believe uh, very strongly. Yeah. So I got it, and I I I applaud you. Um, Community Ownership and Cooperative Principles, Advanced DEI, Equitable Access, Access to Capital. Probably the number one problem with starting a business is not having access to capital. A lot of times you go to friends and family first to help start a company or business. But as as we know in our neighborhoods, those low-resource communities, black and brown, uh, Native American, indigenous people, they don't have that much capital. Uh, if somebody owns a house, that may be it, or a car, but that car may have a note or that house may have a mortgage. So uh, that that money for friends and family isn't there too often. So getting access to capital. So I really like your, your mission, sir. I really like your mission. Um, so who are you in your webpage? It says borrow and who we serve. Um mm-hmm. So what are those sectors you serve? Well, the sectors we serve obviously are um, limited equity cooperatives. We do worker co-ops. We are trying to uh, develop a product around share loans. Uh, Share loans are really needed uh, in some of these under-resourced communities, but it's a a product right now that we're not able to support, so we're trying to come together to work with the bank to help us create a share loan uh, product. Uh, we obviously, um, I'd like to, as a child of Head Start, uh, as a Head Start child, and knowing how important child care is now, we'd like to look a little bit more into child care cooperatives. Uh, but outside of the cooperative space, uh, we believe strongly in renewable energy, and we call it community power. <laughs> and 
you know, so we're, we're looking at resiliency hubs and solar panels across the country. Uh, we're also looking at, you know, a small business that may be owned by a, a minority woman, a woman, or, or a person of color. Uh, so it, it, it really was the gamut. Um, uh, we're really excited about, and I won't say the name, about working with a black-owned um, uh, electric vehicle charging uh, company here hopefully soon. Um, not a huge transaction, but they've been to every bank in their state, and they're getting no. And so, you know, CDFIs were created in uh, 1994 to be alternatives to banks. And you've got CDFI credit unions, you've got CDFI banks. We're a loan fund, and so we're non-depository, but And so I've got a rate. I, go to, I tell people I go to bed at night thinking about capital, and I wake up about capital because so much of my job is going to be going out here and meeting with foundations, meeting with other large banks that are extremely supportive of CDFIs to try to get the right mixture of debt and equity um, for us to be able to, to, to do our loans. Goes without saying, the bank has been an amazing um, you know, um, founder for us. They provided us with the seed capital and uh, have dedicated themselves to contributing us for a few more years. But I can't rest on that. I've got to be able to go out and raise outside money from, from other people um, to, to us to be fully um, capable of doing the kind of transactions that we do. Uh, the communities we serve, like I said before, are black and brown, um, indigenous, AAPI. I like to do a deal with, in, uh, with Native, uh, Native Alaska Corporation as well. And so it, it really runs the gamut, but we really are working hard to position ourselves as a national lender. So our first four transactions have been in um, Chicago, they've been in Baltimore, um, um, uh, California, the Crenshaw community, and Detroit. So it's been a nice geographical mix. Obviously, as our team grows, you know, we'll expand out even more. But we're really proud of the first three or four deals that we've done. Three have been with the bank participation-wise, and then we have the self-standing one on our own in, uh, in South Baltimore. Okay. You said a mouthful with a lot of data. So I ask you, <laughs> who are the sectors you serve? I got limited equity housing co-ops. I got worker mm-hmm. and consumer-owned co-ops, worker co-ops. So, mm-hmm. uh, And then you go to women and minority small businesses. So mm-hmm. uh, you also talk about child care and renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just real quickly, the four types, the four sectors of co-ops are, it, are depending on who owns and controls the business. And so the members are the persons that own and control the business, but in a uh, employee-based uh, co-op, the workers own and control the business. Yeah. So worker and consumer-owned co-ops is one of them that you're looking at. Uh, mm-hmm. And I want to come back and talk about the four that you did to the extent you can say their names or what type they mm-hmm. are. And then this mm-hmm. consumer co-op uh, is when the people that buy the products or services own the business. And you mentioned credit unions earlier, that they are consumer co-op, uh, housing co-ops and consumer. Those people that live in the house own the business. They own the property. They manage it. They have a say in it. And the members uh, vote for the board. And then the other two are purchasing co-ops and marketing co-ops. A lot of farmers are using those. Artists are beginning to use them. Uh, there's mm-hmm. one in a purchasing co-op in D.C., uh, CAC Cooperative C-P- Community Purchasing, Purchasing Alliance. Alliance. CPA. Yeah, CPA. CPA. Mm-hmm. 
So as a, a group of people, a group of companies come together and they buy the products that are services that they need to do their business. And this is churches and charter schools and that one. Uh, and then there's marketing co-ops where businesses come together, uh, people come together and market their goods. Again, artists are using that. There's one in Pittsburgh, Ujama. There's a Native American one out in, in New Mexico, Zuni uh, uh, co-ops. And then you got all of these Lando Lakes and Ocean Spray where farmers come together. Um, Capital um, Cabot Creamery is a good one. They get the milk from all of these farmers, and they end up putting their products all over. So these are the four types. And we're going to take our second break, Sean. It goes by quick when you're having fun. And when you come back, I'd like to talk to you. You mentioned Chicago, South Baltimore, Crenshaw, or L.A., and then Detroit. So you're all over in the east coast the west coast and in the middle um mm -hmm. what those what types of co-ops they were and if you can if you could give us the names that would be helpful and if you can't that's fine too but at least what types of co-ops you have already mm -hmm. started um lending mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. and so and i don't know if no that, that let's start there let's stop there we'll look at the different places and the types of co-ops we'll be right back please don't touch that down WOL, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. We've already mentioned that National Co-op Bank has been the sponsor of this show for nine years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. You know, we mentioned at the start of the program, we mentioned Chuck Snyder and how well he lived that mission. Uh, he was all for anybody that have had issues or difficulties or communities um, that didn't have the full, if you will, the, the full access to the American dream. And we also mentioned that Casey has a real big shoes to fill and uh, my prayers go out to him. And it seems like he's doing a really great job, particularly being a young man coming behind such big shoes. Um, so I, it, continually praying for Casey and the bank to fulfill on this mission of supporting and advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities. And, John, you've already said that Rochdale's uh, mission is also to go into these, you call them under-resourced or low-income communities, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. to provide capital where maybe the bank could not because of its regulations, mm -hmm. which is yeah. always a, seem like a, a basketball or, or scales where you're trying to see how do I support the mission, low-income communities, and also uh, be able to be, uh, be, be approved by the regulators. You, you can't take yeah. too much risk, mm -hmm. in other words. So yeah. you're coming yeah. in to perhaps take more risk. Uh, and so we said we we're going to come back and talking about the first four projects that you've done in less mm -hmm. than a year. Uh, so mm -hmm. can we start with the one in Chicago? Oh, we can. But, and, and let me just say one thing about the National Cooperative Bank. Um, you know, uh, per the congressional charter, uh, the bank has this uncommon mandate that uh, they must make best efforts that 
no less than 35% of all of our yearly disbursements be in under-resourced communities. And so you're talking about more than $6 billion in under-resourced communities throughout the history of the bank. It's something we take very seriously. Um, uh, the bank uh, even has already met its yearly goal, and it's only in November. So um, I just wanted to say that when you talk about their work in low-resource uh, communities. And so we started the one in, um, in uh, Chicago, um, and I will say in full disclosure, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it hasn't closed yet, but it's the one that we're, we're working on. It's, uh, it's a grocery store on the, the South Shore. They call it the Soul Coast uh, because it's 93% black. Uh, this neighborhood, and I won't say the name, just out of, you know, um, uh, uh, I hear my general counsel in my ear somewhere. Um, I, okay. they, uh, there was no grocery store for eight years in this neighborhood. And, uh, the alder uh, when there was adamant about handing it. It's not going to be far from the Obama uh, Center, so I think that there was, um, um, you know, a push to, to have one there. It opened. I was there for the groundbreaking a couple of years ago, uh, and it was just amazing. Uh, folks who had not had a grocery store in their area, it's an amazing um, store. But the part that I want to say about this is that during the the riots and whatnot after the tragic murder of uh, George Floyd, the community came together and, and locked arms, black, white, Latino, you name it, around that entire store because they had waited so long they did not want that store looted, and that store was not looted. And so the original deal was done by and pulling money from all over the place. These deals are called multi-stack deals. You have city money, foundation money. We come in with debt. And so we're uh, uh, in that. Uh, I can't wait till it opens, and and hopefully we can have um, the leader of uh, the uh, Detroit Food Security Network on the show um, to have a. He's, he's been on twice already, Malik. Oh yeah, Kenyatta Yakini. Malik is awesome. He's a educator. He's retiring from his work. Uh, of education, he said he doesn't know exactly what he's going to do next. I, I think I've got it right. Detroit People's Black Community Food Security Network. And when you started describing it, I knew exactly what you were talking about because it's much bigger than than providing food. Uh, and so I said the name of it so your your legal people won't right. get on you. My general counsel will call you. How about that? Don't worry. Okay, okay, fine. <laughs> okay. Now, um, do you know is that a, is it a consumer co-op where the people that shop in there will own it, or is it a worker co-op? People that shop there will own it, and I'm sure that obviously there, there's going to be a component there for people who work there as well. But I, I can see it um, just like some of the other food co-ops across the country, the Weaver Street Co-op in North Carolina, where I live, and a few others. Where again, you, you get to the you get to the uh, counter, you give your number at Weaver Street. I'm two two five seven nine and um, um, get your food, and again, it's uh, again. If I know Malik, it's going to be a great um, uh, grocery, grocery store. It's going to be a great food co-op and um, top-notch. And I don't think you're going to find, uh, you know, a lot of these communities have what they call these food marts, uh, burning. And I've been in a couple of them, man. And you have to turn around and leave because the smell is horrible because the food they have there really isn't fresh. The food they have there is chock full of sugar. Um, and they always have a huge uh, beer and wine aisle because uh, they make a lot of money off of that. And I'm not knocking that. I totally understand that. But that's not a 
a, a food co-op. It's not a grocery store. It's a food mart, and it's not uh, food security. It's food insecurity in my mind, and I think mm-hmm. the more work that you can do. You know, my, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I can throw a rock in a three-mile radius where there's a Whole Foods, a Wegmans, a Harris Teeter, a Food Lion, an Aldi, uh, and I'm probably missing one there, um, and they're all in a three-mile radius. And, uh, you know, I think some people take that for granted. And there's some communities in this country where people have to take train rides, people have to take buses, people have to walk miles uh, to be able to buy a, a, a fresh head of lettuce um, for their family. And um, that shouldn't be happening in this country right now, but um, it is. So they've been working on this for quite some time. I was with Malik at the up-and-coming conference that Deb Trocher um and the food initiative puts on every year for new and mm-hmm. up, upcoming uh, co-ops. And the gentleman uh, in, in uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, that's creating one there. So it's all, people all over the nation come to that up and coming. And you can go to mm-hmm. Google and Google up and coming and Deb, and then they do a great job of teaching you what you have to do, what the training, that fifth principle of cooperation, the training that's needed to run and operate a food co-op and, and it's it's a tough business to run. You've got to really know what you're doing. Vernon, what people don't realize is that for most grocery stores to have a good year, they have to make a 1% profit, 1%. And so their margins are already very tight. And so, you know, um, it, it, there's no room for error there. So you have to start off with a great amount of support, you've got to start off with the great um, products, great producers. Um, what I think is so great about the store, the uh, food co-op of Detroit is that it's going to be locally sourced and there'll be people in the area. Sure. They probably have to bring some things in from other places, especially during a really cold Detroit winter. But I think at its core, it's, uh, it's not only this community health, but it's also a community coming together to promote food security uh, and and have access to uh, healthy foods that they may not be able to get elsewhere. So that's uh, one we're, we're really proud to be a part of. And then I, obviously, like I said to you before, the last one is this resiliency hub uh, in uh, South Baltimore, a majority black community that um, uh, the community space, but also has food storage. But uh, in the in the event of a uh, power outage, of uh, uh, people in the community can come to the resiliency hub bring food they don't want to you know go bad uh and, and refrigerate it or freeze it uh, charge their cell phones you know use wi-fi and some other things and so again i think that while it's not a co-op there is a very strong uh purpose there for the community or a concern for a community that i think that um uh, we're proud to be involved uh, in it's our first loan self-standing loan that we're doing without any participation or, or being involved with the bank. You know, all our loans won't be participations with NCB, but um, um, those are three that we were, we were really uh, proud to, to, to be a part of. So South Baltimore is solar panels, right? And so they're going to provide energy yeah. for the community when needed. Um, when needed, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. They call these re- resiliency hubs is what they call Resiliency hub, hub. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So if if power goes out in Baltimore, you can take your laptop there and and <laughs> and, and charge it up, or there go there and and do your homework or whatever the case might be. Okay, 
Okay, resilience. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to come back. Uh, did you want to talk about the one in Crenshaw? If what, you can answer when we come well, back, I offer. About, I talked about it before a little bit. You know, the, the majority of black Olympians that could co-op. You know, uh, they had some bad management. Uh, they were about to lose their homes, and so uh, we wanted. Well, to I want to come back. I, I, we got to take this break and just we'll spend a little bit more time on that one. We'll be right back, everybody. Fourteen fifty WOL, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. We're talking about uh, money. <laughs> money and how you get capital and how you use capital. And John Hosekal is the president and CEO of Rochdale Capital. And they are he's out getting money so he'll have money to help small businesses, uh, worker co ops, consumer co ops, minority and women small businesses. So he's out getting money so he'll have money available to to loan to folks when they want to start business. And we talked about the, we talked about all four, but I'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about Crenshaw. You said that was a limited equity housing co-op. Can you tell me a little bit more that multifamily? Yeah, it's, uh, multi, multifamily. And uh, for people who don't know what limited equity co-ops are, um, when you buy into the co-op, let's say, for example, let's use an example uh to keep the affordability down, when you buy into the co-op, you may put down $5,000, okay? Sometimes the amount may be higher, but and you can live in it for 20 years, but to keep the affordability down, when you leave that co-op 20 years later, you'll leave with the same $5,000 that you uh, came in with because that limited equity component of it is what makes it so affordable. Uh, and you know, there's, there's a one here, uh, called the Ellerville Baker uh, co-op and it's up near the U street, 13th street area in DC. And if any of you know that area, uh, gentrifying very fast, um, uh, Ellerville Baker was an amazing civil rights advocate as well as an advocate for a cooperative. She just uh, was inducted into the cooperative hall of fame. But what makes it so unique is that because of the limited equity part of this, like, you know, a two-bedroom there, um, uh, you're, and you own this, maybe $600 a month. I mean, I mean, now you can tell me anywhere in D.C. and you can find a two-bedroom anything for $600 a month. And so um, it's a great cooperative. It's a great story. It's named after a great uh, cooperative advocate. And so, but it gives you an example of how you lock in that affordability so that people can stay there longer. They own it. They don't rent it. They own it. Um, and um, I just, you know, if you want to solve the housing problem across the country, every city and town and state government should be looking at limited equity co-ops um, uh, as, a, as an alternative um, um, to, you know, again, 30-year fixed mortgages and single-family houses and multi-family houses and things of that nature. So uh, I'm a big fan um, of limited equity co-ops, and we were really happy to help uh, the folks in Crenshaw, because again, um, you know, the, the property needed um, a new roof and some other improvements. Uh, but again, I think years of bad management uh, really hurt them, and I think uh, they're getting on the right track now. So. 
So I want to give a quick shout out to Linda Leakes and Ajawa Ifateo. They helped to start that Ella Joe Baker intentional community. And when they did that, uh, 14th Street was still a hard place to walk around in. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But now it's like you said, gentrifying, it's gone up crazy. Oh, it's gone. Um, yeah, completely. But a limited equity housing co-op, I do want to go back to that 5K that you put down. That's a lot of time called the membership fee to get in. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. what makes it lim- limited equity is in the dialogue, in the documents, it will say how much you can earn on that limited equity. Okay, so you'll get your 5000 plus a little bit. Now, that little bit normally is more so than you would get with the CPI, which may be one, one and a half, or half a percent. So sometimes it's been as much as seven. On average, one one um, research project said it was seven point one percent that people got back on their their return on their that membership fee. But I want to go all the way back to something you said earlier, John, and that's the share loan that you're trying to do more share loans. So that five k membership fee, often people that have been renting can't come up with that five k. So you need a loan to get. In the limited equity housing, you need a loan, and it's called a share loan as opposed to a mortgage because what you have is a share of stock. So you're borrowing against a share of stock. And so the question is, how can you get that 5K for to get in? Some co-ops around, and I, and I manage, as you know, I manage limited equity housing co-ops. That's how I got to know about this whole co-op world. Mm-hmm. And some co-ops would say, okay, you owe me 5K. But we'll, you, you can pay me back over five years, $1,000 a year over five years. There's all kinds of different ways of paying that, but it's awful nice if you can get a share loan so the person would have their co-op fee, which is almost a lot of times it's less than rent, and um, they would have the share loan, and their utilities would be their housing costs. So you're looking at doing share loans at Rochdale Capital, and I think that's a much-needed thing. We were looking at how we get credit unions to do them. It's awful hard to get share loans. I mean, I mean, Vernon, I have been on uh, uh, with the Mutual Housing Network of Milwaukee, Chicago, and uh, all we hear about are share loans. And, again, uh, it's hard for a bank who most of the times are not micro lenders or loans that are, you know, under um, $10,000 or whatnot. It's hard for them uh, to do that. And so I think it's a product that, again, we're working with the bank share loan people to develop this product because I think that not only can it help the individuals who need these share loans, but I think it can help the bank also um, uh, who can't, you know, who find themselves many times unable to do the loans. And so I, I, I hear about it too much uh, from too many uh, folks in the communities that we work um, for us not to really take a big swing at this and try to do the best we can to get um, to get them technically co-ops and share loans. Well, I'm sorry, share loans specifically um, um, done by a Rochdale Capital. So we're, we're going to keep working on that. Stay tuned. Um, You'll be the first person to know. I'm sure we'll come to you for some insight uh, in regards to uh, creating this program. So, um, so I'm, I'm going to take. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to leave without saying. Um, everyone knows it's an early voting period right now. Um, I'm a big 
fan of civic education. I believe strongly that democracy is not a spectator sport. So everyone listening to me, I don't care who you vote for, but I, I think it's important that we need to get out. Uh, so much stuff is happening at the state and local level around cooperatives, and we want to be able to uh, continue to work on that kind of cooperative development, but we only can do that if uh, we all choose to be a part of the process. And by being a part of the process, that means uh, uh, one person, one vote, <laughs> just like in a, a cooperative. Uh, so I encourage everyone to get out to vote uh, uh, for early voting uh, or um, obviously on Election Day. And you can go to vote.coop to get information on who's running in your area. Uh, and But please get out and vote. Please get out and vote. It, it is critical. And not, most cooperators understand because co-ops is democracy. That's the second principle. One member, one vote that you talked about. And I would expect that most people that are in co-ops and know they're in a co-op, like a lot of people in credit unions, don't know they're in a co-op. So I would say housing co-ops don't know it. I don't know the effect of it. We didn't talk about rural electric co-ops, but I know I, I, I was in one in Prince George's County, and I didn't know it. I just paid my bill. Uh, so, uh, if you if you, people that know they're in a co-op um, normally are out there, they're out there voting, and very much so because they know the importance. But we really encourage everybody. Thank you, John, for bringing that up because it's. The, the, these midterm elections, to me, are more important than the, the, the presidential election, more important because they're local. It's the stuff that's happening in your neighborhood, the laws, uh, the policies in your neighborhood. So please, please, please get out and vote. Thanks, John. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, do a, how many governorships are up this time? I think it's what, it's, in, in the, it's what they call a mega cycle. It's 36 or 37 gubernatorial seats that are up. You know, some will not be competitive, but there's some very competitive ones going on across the country that I think people need to be aware like of. Georgia, so, like uh, Georgia, like Georgia, yeah, okay. like Georgia. Like Georgia, like Georgia, like Georgia. That's another one. And then, uh, again, there are 36, I think 36, 37. They call it a, a gubernatorial mega cycle for a voting standpoint. And uh, you won't have as many governors on one ballot as you will um uh, doing a mega cycle so so john hoseclaw um i know you go to bed uh thinking about money you wake up thinking <laughs> about money but yeah. do you like what you do i love it i do uh you know uh starting an organization has been humbling um i knew it was going to be uh but I tell people, Vernon, that every day this is the hardest fun that uh, I've ever had. And, um, okay. you know, again, because I know what the end goal is, and the end goal is, listen, I'm from Statesville, North Carolina, grew up in a 990-square-foot house with a one one bathroom, no shower. Um, so uh, Head Start kid, Lasky kid, divorce parent, I mean, you name it. And so uh, I've lived uh, in a lot of the communities that I serve, uh, and it's important to me. Um, like my dad always uh, told me about his job, all, all we want to do is help people. And and that means educating them about the cooperative principles, or that means teaching them about community ownership. So although I do wake up every morning uh, thinking about capital burning, um, I, I am uh, having fun. And when you have fun, when you're doing a job, when you look forward to what you do, it's not really a job at all. And uh, 
I'm building upon what Chuck wanted to be a legacy of his. Um, my board chair tells me that every meeting that I come to, I bring uh, Chuck with me. Uh, and I take that with a lot of pride uh, because I, I do. And um, he was a great boss. He was a great mentor. He was a great friend. And um, he had told me a long time ago, you don't want to be a lobbyist for the rest of your career. And uh, I really didn't. <laughs> okay. but thank you, John. Thank you so very much. All right. It's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It's fun talking to you. Everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. Please live cooperatively and see how you can help somebody. Thank you. 1450 WOL, where information is power.